0: Welcome in. How are we doing on this Wednesday? Beautiful people. So excited to have you here for the next three hours on 104.5 The Zone. It's going to be a jam-packed, loaded show. We got so much to do, so much to get to, so much to talk about, so much to laugh at. Dumbest thing in sports this week at 11 o'clock. Mike Felder of Stadium will discuss the world of college football with us coming up next. And of course, Will Compton of Bussin' with the Boys at 1220. Your phone calls as well. The number, 615-737-1045, is how you jump in. 615-737-1045. A lot of information coming out of St. Thomas Sports Park today. The team will not be done, by the way, as far as transactions are concerned. The roster cut down to 53 yesterday, but the practice squad will be decided sometime in the next two hours, so keep an eye for that keep an eye out for that as things start to fly as stuff starts to leak a lot of uh i don't know it's i always i always enjoy roster cutdown day not because of what happens to the mass labor layoff in the NFL that's unfortunate and a lot of as you heard J. Martin Ramon talking about earlier this morning with Iggy Johnson changes a lot of lives and very rarely is it for the good when this many people end up out on the street but point being i do enjoy Free agency in the same way that I enjoy roster cut down day. It just feels like, I don't know, it feel the, the transactions flying around. There's a sense of excitement to it, I feel like. But not if you're a team that say cuts your rookie fourth round pick. Maybe that doesn't necessarily excite you. Maybe that angers you. Maybe that disappoints you. Maybe you're like, that. Eh, don't care, dead weight, get out of the way. I'd be curious to I'd be curious to know how Titans fans feel about the cutting of Des Fitzpatrick yesterday, the Titans' fourth-round pick at wide receiver. Now, raise your hand on an audio medium if you remember our show on April the 28th. Not ringing any bells? Lucas is shaking his head back there. Okay, very good. I can't see you, obviously, because there's eight foot of plexiglass between you and me and and a ring light that's blinding me. Regardless. Oh, by the way, I, I'm told there's a fire fire alarm test that's going to that's gonna happen in the middle of the show today. Any minute now. Any minute now? Okay. How, how, how am I supposed to handle that? How, 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 what do I do? <laughs> Just plow, plow right through Just it. Just keep talking through, through. Okay. Is it on the poll right now, what we discussed earlier this morning? Yes, it is. Can you test a fire alarm after 6 p.m. when, you know, there's not live shows happening? Isn't that something that's possible? Anyway, I await the fire alarm.
1: Uh, early results are fifty-nine percent say no.
0: Oh, very good. Okay, so the audience is against <laughs> no us in this understand. regard. All right, so the mob is against us. The fi- the uh, torches and pitchforks are out, and I will just complain about it as you hear just that eh, 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 in the background. Oh, Ho-
1: hopefully it's just the flashing lights, but I don't know. <sighs> I
0: digress. <laughs> so. Of all of the takeaways from this 53-man roster, first and foremost, this is not the same 53-man roster that's going to face the Arizona Cardinals on September the 12th, 11 days from now. By the way, happy September. It is officially, it feels like football outside. It felt glorious this morning. It was like under 70 degrees. I almost needed like a light jacket to go out and, uh, to go out and jog this morning.
1: Well, Rhett Bryan came into the green room as I was getting ready for the show, told me he has a source uh, that has told him that we are done with the brutally hot weather.
0: Oh, is that so?
1: Yes, he has a weather source that uh, he did not share with
0: me. 104.5 The Zone's local meteorologist, Rhett yeah. Bryan. Indeed. He, r- he runs in those circles, so he, he would know. I I trust. Listen, I trust him more than I trust the people that I watch on the news. This is great. Love to see it, which means that I won't die out at training camp, or I guess training camp's over. I won't die out at football practice. Now that the weather has subsided, regardless, the fifty-three man roster that is before you. If you're looking online, if you're looking at Jim Wyatt's Twitter timeline, because he's got the printout copy uh, on his uh, on his Twitter timeline for you to review. The 53 man roster as it's constituted today will not be the team that faces Arizona because, as we sit here at 10.07 on a Wednesday, nine players still remain on the COVID list. You will not carry three quarterbacks into the regular season. You are carrying two right now because your starter is on the COVID list. You will probably not see somebody like Makai Sargent after the return of Jeremy McNichols. Or potentially Darrington Evans from his prolonged absence due to a knee injury. Somebody like Makai Sargent, who is a great story, it's between him and Mason Kinsey for the the, the offseason or I guess preseason fan favorite. Who do you think would, would win that? By the way, let's just put it let's just throw it on the poll. Why not? At Buck Rising is where you can vote on the polls. Who wins preseason fan favorite? Mason Kinsey? or Makai Sargent. One made it, one didn't. And I would imagine that as good a story as Makai Sargent is, I would imagine that that's not long-lived. Respectfully. Not because of anything that he's done, but because of what their roster situation looks like right now. They are in the middle of a second COVID outbreak in two years with this team, and they are managing it accordingly, but it has changed the dynamics and the constitution of this year's team. So when you see on this roster that there are seven wide receivers and six safeties, understand that that's probably going to change at some point in the next 11 days. But then of all the cuts, so you go down the list, right? You see Cole Banwart, uh, is it Brian or Brian Body Calhoun, who we were probably unfairly calling Body Camp Calhoun or Camp Body Calhoun, Fred Brown, Jamal Carter, Tory Carter, Christian Delorio, Miller Forrestal, Durin, Derwin Gray, Woodrow Hamilton, the fourth, Javian Hawkins, Jan Johnson, Naquan Jones, Mason Kinsey, Jared Pinkney, Wyatt Ray, Jordan Ruse, and Des Fitzpatrick. Des Fitzpatrick is not on this team right now. It's possible that he clears waivers, it's possible that he ends up on the practice squad but I would think if they're already done with him to the degree that he could not crack the top seven that they ended up keeping, then they're probably done with the Des Fitzpatrick experience. I don't know that to be fact, but that would just be the logical assumption. Wouldn't you agree? So who do you blame? Do you blame John Robinson for trading up to draft, or excuse me, for trading three picks to go up and get this guy, in day three of the NFL draft when there was all kinds of wide receivers all over the place, many, by the way, whom have made their rosters across the league except for Des Fitzpatrick. I asked you to raise your hand if you remember our show on April the 28th before I got distracted by the fire alarm thing, because that's going to piss me off later. Because we, Do you remember Robert Simpson, Lucas? Yes, 33rd team. Who came on here, he wrote an article pre-draft about guys who displayed the biggest boom or bust potential in this year's draft class. And at the top of the list was Des Fitzpatrick. This was on April the 28th. This was long before we had even began discussing. I mean, we talked about wide receivers for this team and who may be appealing, but we had thought, any of us who were logical about this, that they would have taken a wide receiver long before day three. It didn't end up happening that way. And instead, they passed on a lot of guys who seemed to have some promise for a dude who there was skepticism about pre-draft. Do you place the blame squarely at the feet of John Robinson? Do you look at the messaging from the coaching staff and see that this was a player who did not approach his job, his job, keyword, as an NFL player in a way that was satisfactory for them? Sense of urgency. Is a phrase that Rob Moore used, wide receiver coach Rob Moore, when last we talked to him. Rob Moore, who is not any kind of, you know, any kind of hyperbolic, he's a very, very laid back, level headed, calm individual. And when you talk about a sense of urgency from Rob Moore or from Des Fitzpatrick, when Rob Moore is discussing him as somebody in that room where there's great competition, you know who displayed a sense of urgency? Cam Batson, Cam Batson earned the right to be, whether you look at him as wide receiver, wide receiver seven, six, five, whatever, he earned the right to be on this team. Des Fitzpatrick did not. Do you blame the coaching staff for not being able to reach Des Fitzpatrick and get the most out of him? There are there are probably ways to divide up the blame, not equal parts, but more than anything, it's not about the fact that Dez Fitzpatrick got cut. I don't care that Des Fitzpatrick's not on the team. You need as many capable, competent bodies on this roster as humanly possible, as many good football players as possible, in John Robinson's own words, and he was not one of them. The question is why you should be upset is what the hell was he doing here in the first place if that was going to be the case. There's no way to outright predict anything in the NFL. The draft is an incredibly flawed process. Talent evaluation across all sports is an incredibly flawed process. But it is fair to look at the general manager of of this team and say he is above average as it relates to his peers and doing his job in the league. No question. But when he misses, he misses substantially. It's not a franchise-altering move because it's not a quarterback. Isaiah Wilson is not a franchise-altering move because he's not a quarterback. Kevin Dodd is not a franchise-altering move because he's not a quarterback. There are ways to rebound from missing on a fourth-round pick. And by the way, Des Fitzpatrick wasn't the only fourth-round pick to get cut this year. It happens everywhere. But for this particular general manager, he is under a fair amount of scrutiny for how badly – he has missed on both free agents in the last calendar year and a draft class that has wildly disappointed from 2020. And so any kind of, any kind of opening for this kind of criticism to resurface, people are going to ta- are going to hammer him for. That's fair. But also understand that you didn't want somebody like this on your team anyway. So the idea that he got cut, it's not the end of the world. The larger issue is what was the process that led him to being here in the first place, and how did this fall through the cracks yet again?
1: It was a head-scratcher then. Absolutely. The biggest head-scratcher of the draft then, and it is now.
0: Well, I don't know if it was the biggest head-scratcher of the draft. I think it was. It was.
1: of why did you get an inside linebacker on day two and trade up for a wide receiver that we didn't really talk about on day three? Well, they got to hedge
0: their bets with Rashawn Evans and Jayon Brown, both being free agent. Like they had to do something about that.
1: Then what was the biggest head scratcher you think? Oh, I don't know.
0: That's such a wide ranging question. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think there's like, there's not an obvious one that jumps to mind off the top of my head. I think I think that's kind of I think that's kind of narrowly focused, don't you think?
1: I, I, to me, from what I remember in our post draft discussions, that was at the top of the list of why you waited till day three to get a receiver and why this guy.
0: It's among them for sure. You know, it's like Green Bay taking. It's not. I mean, it's not as consequential again because it's not a quarterback, but it is in the same vein as like Green Bay taking Jordan Love in the first round a couple of years. And this ago. was obviously pre Julio,
1: where that was a major need.
0: Yeah. Where we were talking about that, I because that's that's the only reason I brought up Des Fitzpatrick. I'm like, you know what? They don't just need one receiver in this draft. They probably need two. And they took two, but they waited until day three to take both of them. And then we're all looking around like, what? What the hell? Now, maybe you have some kind of inkling about the Julio deal, but this was months. Nearly four months before the Julio deal was made. Maybe three months before the Julio deal was made. We'll have plenty of time to talk about the roster construction And about Des Fitzpatrick, because I I have a few more points that I want to make on this. But coming up next, we're going to talk to Michael Felder of Stadium, our buddy, who is going to break down week one in the world of college football. A bunch of fun games. We've got a handful on this slate that most intrigue us that we want to talk about. Eight of them, to be exact, and a couple of big ones in the SEC. We'll do that with Michael Felder coming up next. I'm Buck Rising. This is 104.5 The Zone. Are you really this big of a producing hack? You're going to come right out the gate with September? Come Had on. To happen. Had to happen. At some point, might as well get it out of the way. That's fine. We'll take it. So we bring in Michael Felder of Stadium to deal with our hackiness because it is week one of the college football season. Week zero is uh, fortunately out of our minds for everybody but Nebraska fans. Buddy, how we living?
2: I'm doing fantastic, and yeah, I'm glad you got the Nebraska talk in there because woo, it like it looks like it's going to be a long season.
0: My God, so how do you how do you consume that? Because I know that you're you're a bit of a sycophant with the way that you watch all of these games over the course of a weekend, but like with with something like that, and really with UCLA, Hawaii too. Do you enjoy how comical the bad college football is? Because from my standpoint, watching bad NFL. Like it's a miserable experience. And yet I enjoy bad college football so much more.
2: Yeah, it's um it's not a fun experience, but it is a learning experience, and that's the big thing for me, is I'm always looking at how teams can get better or what they should have done or what they don't recognize. And honestly, my biggest takeaway from Nebraska and watching it, and I'm glad I got a chance to kind of spend more time focused in on that than, you know, later in the season when you're you're watching teams that are going to the playoff or you're watching teams that are in a conference race. Because we got to see that they, they, they don't have it up front. Their offensive line, people are going to talk about Adrian Martinez and his errant throws, but the reality is this is a team that they don't have it up front. They cannot move bodies. Their running backs combined for such a low percentage of their yards. Most of, most of their rushing yards came on a 75-yard right. run from Adrian Martinez, and then after that they just didn't get stuff done. So it's really interesting to watch game to game. What adjustments do they make in terms of types of runs that they call? who gets the ball, all those things. But, yeah, so that's kind of the way that I do it when it's not good.
0: Speaking of adjustments, like, I'm sure you saw the Scott Frost quote, quote where he said, yeah, as soon as they lined up on defense, half of our game plan went out the door. Like, how how do you say that out loud? Well, he also said it was based on yeah, the spring it's,
2: game. Um, it's one of those things where you really start to realize that not everybody's a genius, you know? Oh. And... <laughs> And Mike, if you don't man. have the ability to just like if you don't have the ability to adjust on the fly, uh, your as he even said, right, your ship your your ship is sunk before you even get off the dock. So the fact that he wasn't anticipating how they were going to play defense and the fact that they couldn't adjust to, it, I thought it was really cool some of the stuff that that Illinois did. They ran some two down linemen with standing defensive ends that shouldn't be crippling to you they play i mean there was no respect i mean i don't think we we're going to spend this much time on illinois nebraska <laughs> but the fact that they had all 11 guys lined up within 9 yards of the line of scrimmage meant that coming what what illinois had was they just, they did not respect your, your ability to throw the ball they don't respect your receivers they don't respect your offensive line's ability to protect the quarterback to get guys over the top and the fact that they lined up nine guys within 9 yards of the or 11 guys within 9 yards of the line of scrimmage said all they needed to know about their film evaluation
0: it it's i'm sorry that we are spending so much time here but that game fascinates me from exactly the standpoint that you're talking about because there was no respect paid by illinois of all programs of course brett yeah. bielema and the proud tradition of fighting a illini football i could not get over that mike
2: yeah if illinois doesn't respect you do you think wisconsin's going to Ugh. or minnesota or obviously god forbid ohio state or anybody like if, if they if illinois In a first year, a coach in his first year with the program, if they don't respect you, who is going to?
0: Uh, certainly not me and not my eyeballs after that experience. Uh, <laughs> Michael Felder of stadium here with us on one Oh four, five, the zone. You can follow him at in the bleachers on the socials. All right, let's go through the biggest games of the weekend, Mike, because I I'm so happy that we don't have to talk about like larger stories in college football with you. Not that I don't enjoy yeah. our conversations, but like we actually yeah. get to talk about football today uh, with out outside of UGA Clemson, which has probably the biggest ripple effect across the sport because of that week one matchup what game on the board are you looking at and are you most intrigued by because of the matchup um I, I'm gonna go I'm kind of I kind of bounce around I'm very excited about Boise State and UCF
2: those seem to be the two with the exception of Cincinnati no disrespect to them those seem to be two of the household names for group of five programs that people automatically throw out there so I want to see like we, we talk about Clemson and Georgia as maybe an elimination contest or having a big ripple effect here's the reality. UCF, Boise State, that means one of those teams is going to be off the board immediately. Right, And that, to me, is a big risk to take for each program, but the reward could be even bigger if they got – whoever goes out and gets the dub, and then you get to see, obviously, Dylan Gabriel. We get to watch Hank Bachmeyer. So, that's, to me, that's one that belongs on the, on the list. I think um, uh, I am interested in these conference matchups, too, um, because while Georgia Clemson is going to have that big ripple effect across the, the nationwide landscape – Michigan State versus Northwestern, the fact that somebody's going to start at the bottom of of their division or somebody's going to start at the bottom of the Big Ten immediately because they're playing these games versus teams. Ohio State, Minnesota is another one, and we're going to see Minnesota. Minnesota's going to have to claw claw their way up from technically the bottom by starting off 0-1, not just on the season, but in the conference. Same thing with Virginia Tech and UNC. We get a chance to watch this top-10 UNC team. Are they going to live up to it, and can Virginia Tech fix some things? I think they're going with Braxton Burmeister. Can he throw the football? So I think those conference matchups – they have such a – because reality is with this sport, and we've talked about this before, it's a regional sport that plays on a national stage. Real, realistically, Virginia Tech, UNC, or Michigan State, Northwestern, or, or, or obviously we just talked about Nebraska and Illinois, but also Ohio State and Minnesota, those games are – or Iowa and Indiana this week. Yeah. Those games are going to have a lot more stake in where you end up ball-wise, how you finish with your – how you finish in your league. And that's the part that's going to make it really dicey for some teams that are taking that risk to play early.
0: My producer, Lucas, was talking to me about the show today on the phone, and he goes, yeah, you got a, you got a top 25 matchup with your Hoosiers this weekend. And I'm like, my, my mind immediately goes to basketball. Then I forget that we're uh, a football uh, school now. It's very exciting. Speaking of basketball f- uh, schools that are also football schools, your North Carolina Tar Heels. Let's talk about this Virginia Tech matchup. What what is what is Sam Howell as a quarterback prospect? He seems to already have the eye of the league. What is Mac Brown doing there that has made them so effective? And and I guess it was it just fault on the part of Texas for letting him go somewhere else? Well, I think that
2: I think at Texas it was done right because, and I think he needed to be done at Texas because he had it to he had to revamp how he approached recruiting and talent evaluation. And I think it's really tough to do in a place like Texas where. So many of the players are overdeveloped. Yeah, so it's not very often you see a guy from the state of Texas go somewhere, somehow gain an extra 25 pounds over the course of his first couple seasons and become something more than he is. That's something you see out of Louisiana, it's something you see out of Georgia, Florida. You even see it in the Midwest as well. But Texas already—they already—they're lifting in college weight rooms when they're in high school. Eighth graders are doing power cleans. It's not like so it. it Max evaluation was different. So I think that that's one of the big things. And I think taking a step away from the game and obviously doing television and working some of the recruiting stuff and following along with these things helped him change his eye for for talent evaluation. But also I'll be real. Larry Fedora did a horrible job of relations in that state and in the adjacent state, South Carolina and Virginia, Tennessee, did a horrible job. A lot of high school coaches did not like him, did not care for him at all. And so Matt just, he came in and do what you're supposed to do, right? He's supposed to shake hands and supposed to smile at people and tell them that you can call us anytime And, hey, even if we don't have a guy that you think is going to, going to UNC this year, we're very interested in that sophomore that you have. So we're going to keep coming back to your high school. He hired Dre Bly, who had a previous relationship. The only reason Drake May is at UNC is because Drake May played with Dre Bly's kids at Myers Park in Charlotte, and they hired Dre Bly off to continue that relationship. Like, that's a huge part of it. So, Max's done a great job from a relationship standpoint, and then he's also done a great job from a CEO standpoint of letting his coordinators coordinate. And obviously Phil Longo on the offensive side is why Sam Howell's doing a really good job. And I think it's going to be interesting to see what the run game for UNC looks like this, this year because when you lose Javante Williams, when you lose Michael Carter, now you lose a big part of that run game and in their pass protection, which they did a great job of protecting Sam Howell, so now this is the Sam Howell show. So he's going to have to get the younger running backs set up for pass pro. He's going to have to get the younger wide receiving core because you lose De'Ami Brown. They still have Bo Corrales, which is going to be interesting, but you lose a guy like De'Ami Brown. And so now he's got to run the show. And in year three, it's his show. I'm very curious to see if he's able to kind of claw his way into the discussion with Spencer Rattler uh, from Oklahoma as one of the as the top quarterback in the draft. But we'll see. It. And I think we're going to get to see more control over the offense out of how, which is how you get to, obviously, where a guy like Trevor Lawrence was.
0: It's it's funny that you bring up De'Ami Brown just because we're talking about Des Fitzpatrick out of Louisville getting cut by the Titans yesterday, uh, and just enough. I mean, I it, it just brings up a whole different can of worms that we don't have to get into here. Are you buying UCLA after that? Are, Hawaii looks to be horrendous, and this LSU matchup I think is interesting. But are you buying Chip Kelly this year?
2: Yeah, they. Ha- I have to do a segment on that game today later when I go into the studio, and you know what? Now, wait, you said you days. have
0: to. You said you have to. What happened? <laughs>
2: Yeah, we, I got to do they, – they, The game. one of the games they stuck me with was LSU-UCLA. Am I excited to watch it? Absolutely. And I said, you know what, let's make it interesting. Let's roll the dice. Let's believe that this UCLA thing is real. And that Chip Kelly really is invested in the idea of basically being a triple-option football team out of a spread formation. Because if you can get Britton Brown, Zach Charbonnet, and DTR, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, if you can get all three of those runners in the backfield together, you can create conflict for the defense. And, I mean, at the end of the day, man, it's – it's hard to bet against Chip Kelly going up against Ed Orgeron. (laughs) Right. Like, I I do think he's smarter than Ed Orgeron. So I guess we're going to get a chance to see what happens. I'm I'm not super confident in saying that UCLA is going to make this a game, but I'm saying it. So let's see what happens.
0: Can Miami, even, not, even if they don't make it a game, can they cover against Alabama? 19 and a half is the number I'm looking at right now in favor of Alabama. Alabama doesn't always cover those big spreads, though, especially early, and especially with a team that appears to be almost completely new from the quarterback on down. If there was an opportunity for Miami to do anything against an Alabama team, would it not be in week one?
2: Yeah, it's got to be week one. I think the interesting part here is going to be there, there's this is a two parter for me, Buck. Um, one, how do they score points? And that's going to be the that's going to be the interesting part. Derek King's incredibly dynamic. I've been thinking about this a lot. So, think about who's beaten Alabama. We have seen a dynamic Stephen Garcia do it with Alshon Jeffrey. We have seen obviously a, a dynamic uh, Chad Kelly do it with Laquan Treadwell. We have seen obviously Johnny Manziel do it with Mike Evans. We have seen uh deshaun watson do it with guys like mike williams and and um i can't now now i can't remember his name um good grief any of the clemson receivers is is the the reality here we've seen how we've seen clemson do it with that so what we have to have for them to score because you have to be in the end zone there are two things one derek king has that play his he's got to play his behind off two they cannot play scared scared money doesn't make money specifically when you play against alabama if you do not take shots down the field, you are going to get suffocated. And that's the interesting part for me. So how they score points is important. The other part, of though, is their defense. And can their defense frustrate and confuse? I do think you need to be aggressive against a young quarterback like Bryce Young. I know he's played in some garbage time, but you got to get aggressive against this kid. And the reality is, can they confuse him? If they can confuse him, force him into mistakes, then you have an opportunity to steal yourself some extra possessions. And I think that's going to be the key if you're Miami because, listen, you're going to take shots down the field and they're not all going to work. But the reality is you have to take more shots so that you can do that instead of sitting on your hands, you know, holding the ball, trying to play some sort of a ball control, keep it close uh, football game.
0: Michael Felder of Stadium is here with us on 104.5 The Zone. We're talking about week one in college football, the biggest and the most interesting games. Uh, Upset. I feel like, and and Lucas brought this to my attention before the show, that Louisiana against Texas – is yep. an interesting, interesting matchup. What's your read on that, and is there the possibility for an upset there?
2: Yeah, I think so. I mean, here's the reality. They're the they're ranked the same, right? 21 and 23. Yeah. If you're 23 and you're a non-Power 5 team, or you're a group of 5 team, that means you're probably better than 21, a group of 5 team that just gets in there on their name. What do we expect from Texas this year? What? We expect Hudson Card to come out and be some sort of a Heisman Trophy contender? No. Nobody. Sark doesn't that's, that's, even
0: know who his quarterback is yet. It, he has officially
1: named Hudson Carr. Oh, has
0: he named Hudson Carr? Okay. I'm, I'm late to the party then on that.
2: Yeah, but like, what do we what do we expect out of Texas? I think that Bijan Robinson, getting him back because he's so explosive, that's going to be really cool. But the reality of it is, I don't know what to expect. They've had transfers. They've got they, – they've had transfers. They've got a bunch of inexperience. They've got lose guys to the draft in terms of guys like a Samuel Cosme. So, I don't know what to expect from them. And then we're going to get to see Levi Lewis in, goodness gracious, this is what, year five for him, I guess? And he gave Iowa State some fits at times. Obviously, we saw him against UAB, looked pretty good. So I'm curious to watch what he looks like coming into this season. So, yeah, I think that's absolutely a game that you should have on the radar as far as upsets go. And, if I'll, and I'll give you another one. I'm very curious to watch San Jose State take on USC. I really am. Disciplined football team that's got Derek Deese at the tight end spot. I love the Nevin's kid that plays running back for them. He wants to deal out punishment, and obviously Nick Starkle is in. Oh, I want to say, is he in year six
0: of he, playing college football? No,
1: I think it's seventeen.
2: It's Mike.
0: crazy. It's it's hundred and ten. <laughs> he has been in this sport since the dawn of time.
2: Yeah, so yeah, I mean he, yeah, so but he he's got total control. We talked about it with Sam. Howell. He's got total control over Brett Brennan's offense, and it's really cool to watch him play. So, yeah, this is going to be really interesting because we know that Graham Harrell, they want to push the ball down the field to Drake London. They want to use Jake Smith underneath, a guy that transferred from the school we just talked about with Texas. So, USC, San Jose State, for folks that don't know, I think that's a game you might want to pop on.
0: I think that Clemson can beat Georgia. Tell me why I'm right or tell me why I'm wrong.
2: Well, I think you're right. I think they both could beat each other. It all depends upon play calling and situational you know situational awareness. I'm very curious to watch what um, – I know what Clemson's going to do, right? They're going to get DJ Uyunglele involved in the run-pass game to put those linebackers in conflict for Georgia. They're also going to push the ball vertically down the field because now we've got a healthy Justin Ross. I want to see what Clemson's defensive line looks like, though, because we know that if Georgia had their druthers, they'd run the ball 45, 50 times this game and not have to worry about trying to stretch the field, especially when their best receiver, George Pickens, is not a part of the equation due to the injury he suffered in spring. And I still don't know what's going on with Eric Gilbert. So – it's going to be interesting to see how much they trust JT Daniels down the field to guys that aren't Pickens or even Eric Gilbert. And it's going to be interesting to see how Clemson's, how stout Clemson can be up front because they lost a couple of guys Jordan Williams, Mike Jones, uh, Niles Pinkney. They lost guys to transfer that were a big part of that depth, uh, the, the depth situation of, along that defensive front, both at the defensive line and in the linebacking court.
0: This is why you know that you can trust Michael Felder's analysis because he just rattled off DJ's last name with the super, the most confidence of anybody that I've heard talking about college football right now. Meanwhile, I'm terrified in front of my microphone to even attempt DJ Uweungalele. Did I get it?
2: You got it, DJ Uweungalele. Listen, when you do, when I've done, I've, I've I've been following this kid for like four years for, due to recruiting, five years almost. Yeah. So I'm in. I know it. We've talked to like my West Coast guy. Once you get it down, you got it down. So you got it. Same thing with tuatango Like It's the same. You got to get it down. Once you get it down, you're good to go.
0: I was doing press box PA for his entire second half against Vanderbilt when they decided that they wanted to say that we wanted Bama that year, Vanderbilt did, after they started out 3-0. and So I, I did experience the Tua Tuatango-Vailoa uh, thing from the jump before I feel like a lot of people did. Michael Felder of Stadium. Always good to catch up with you. Enjoy the weekend of football, buddy, and I'm sure we'll catch up with you again down the road. At In the Bleachers is where you can follow him for all the great work that he's doing across multiple platforms, podcast, everything. The man is cranking out some knowledge. Thanks, Mike. Thank you guys. You guys take it easy. All right. My god. That's that's just mainlining college football right to the brain. Damn, that felt good. All right, we'll come back and we'll talk about these matchups, particularly Georgia and Clemson. Because when I said that I think that Clemson can beat Georgia, I meant with relative ease. And I'll explain what I mean by that coming up next. I'm Buck Rising. This is 104.5 The Zone. College football, straight to the dome. We got to do that on a regular basis with Mike. I know he's got a million different things going on. He's got like 17 podcasts and half of them are on cooking. But he is one of the most foremost experts in one of the most foremost. Does that make any sense? I don't think so. He's an incredible college football mind is what I'm trying to say poorly. and We always appreciate his time.
1: Just knows everything about everyone.
0: Well, and it's from a schematic standpoint, too. Because we were talking about this this morning, right? Like what direction we wanted to go with Felder. And for so long in this offseason, because there hasn't been, you know, games to talk about, it's been about it's been about the, the larger themes in college football, in the world of college football. It hasn't actually been about the X's and O's. It's been about NIL and the NCAA and, all you know, the transfer portal and all of these things that are just fringe element outside of the actual games. Mike Felder is one of those people that gets me excited about college football. You know what I'm saying? Like his passion for it kind of helps me get, I mean, I can't get to Mike's level because he's clearly an insane person about it. But last year, my love for this particular sport was so diminished by how mutated it was made because of COVID. I just, I lost interest so quickly in college football and people like Mike and reading Mike and listening to Mike talk about it which is why we wanted him on the radio show on a regular basis. It helps kind of reinvigorate, I think, a lot of people, because last year sucked, man. I mean, that was really, it was actually the worst that I have, at least as far as my college football viewing experience has ever been, and that's outside of Tennessee. We didn't even talk to Mike about Tennessee. He's a Joe Milton fan. I meant to ask him about that, and we just ran out of time. I uh, he, he really, he re- legitimately believes in Joe Milton. I don't know how he feels about Josh Heupel. We've talked to him about that a little bit, but regardless so you were going to ask him lucas before we had to end that segment basically what game we are going to overreact to the most out of this slate that we talked about and the the answer is probably clemson georgia right
1: yeah because of the implication of either team if they lose it's just not really there as far as what it means for the rest of their season and postseason hopes
0: so and i kind of went into that interview with that same mindset when in reality Those two teams could sustain a loss, especially if we believe Georgia and Clemson to be the caliber that they should be like that. When you talk about like a good loss, there is no such thing. But if you're looking at you're getting your schedule evaluated at the end of the year for for teams like Mike was laying out like Boise State, who if they lose, they're done like that's that's a wrap. That's the season. Basically, you're at that point playing for a bowl game that's outside of the final four. This Clemson-Georgia game, though, I feel so much better about Clemson than I do at Georgia at this point, and I, I'm not sure why that's the case. It's not like Georgia doesn't have as much talent as any other year, and they've been recruiting as well as Alabama has. If you've been paying attention to that stuff, and I know that I, it's not something I monitor on a day-to-day basis, like I'm not checking 247 every time I wake up in the morning, but like, you look at who the kind of quality and quantity that they're getting at Georgia with Kirby Smart and it rivals Alabama to a T. I think the playing field, it hasn't been leveled there because Saban will always, always, always be the competitive advantage. But Georgia is for real. It's felt like boom or bust for them since basically two thousand I mean, they've been talking about, you know, national championship contenders since the last time they won a national championship, and that's been a hundred years ago, it feels like. This is why Tennessee fans make fun of Georgia fans even as Georgia wins at a higher rate than they do.
1: But I do think this is as seriously as people are taking Georgia in the context of the playoff because of the quarterback position.
0: Rightfully so. J.T. Daniels is a stud, and his transfer there last year—it's going to make a massive difference. Even as you kind of look at Kirby Smart and, and think, "How the hell did you could you not figure it out with somebody like Justin Fields?" But uh, over Jake Fromm, by the way, or Jake Fromm over Justin Fields, which still makes me makes me crazy, makes me insane with rage. Jake Fromm, the the what is he like the fourth string quarterback for the Buffalo Bills now? Yeah, he's third string. He's behind Trubisky, anyway. I I am excited about this because there's such a there's such a difference in these two teams. I mean, yes, DJ, I'm not I'm not going to do it. I, I felt confident about it when Felder said it, and now that I've had a commercial break to sit on it, I'm I'm scared. I can't do it. Can you do it?
1: Now let's just move on. <laughs>
0: You're you're supposed
1: to be a I know, I know. polished play-by-play guy. I, at some point this season, I'll have it down, but uh, not yet.
0: <laughs> That's like, okay, so let me ask you a question before we do actual analysis of this game. As a play-by-play person, I, I for my my college football team, my Indiana Hoosiers, I have a quarterback named Michael Penix. Would mm. you say Penix or would you say Penix because you're not going to say Penix? a word that sounds like penis for basically four hours
1: no you can't you can't mispronounce his name based on a fear of of saying that on a broadcast. you can
0: is that like in the ethical code of play-by-play broadcasters
1: <laughs> no, you can't mispronounce the guy's name because you're afraid you're gonna mess it
0: up You yeah, to say the guy's name right okay but or or you are the fool who ends up saying penis on a broadcast for
1: four hours <laughs> well you know, it's part of the gig is by it? the way a former tennessee commit Michael Penix. <laughs>
0: <laughs> See? How are you going to do that for four hours
1: and not giggle? Oh, it's a good thing I'm not calling any IU games <laughs> this year.
0: These are the things I wonder when I watch guys do play by play. I'm like, I say, you know, if somebody's if somebody's name is, is too close, too far beyond the pale, are you just going to intentionally mispronounce their name for four hours to protect yourself like a coward?
1: No, that's the type of thing that you practice it a few times and you go in with the mindset of, okay. Don't say it. Okay. Don't say it. But no, you don't mispronounce the kid's
0: name because you're afraid you're going to botch it. I think you may be al- I I don't know how many... How, we, we don't necessarily have a panel of play-by-play people that we can go to, but I bet you we could find some people that do that. 100%. Anyway. Georgia and Clemson. The expectation for Georgia, I think, is as real as it's ever been. Now, how they how they live up to those expectations, how they try to show that they belong legitimately, not just als- as a, as an also-ran, not just as the second-place finisher to Alabama in the SEC when they play the SEC championship game at the end of the year. No, this is the year that Georgia legitimately needs to establish itself, and we all know it to be an established power in the landscape of college football. But how many people are are looking at, you know, heading into a season and understanding the kind of disappointments that, Uh, that Georgia has had over the course of the last couple of years. I mean, they've had three losses to Alabama uh, over the court. They're, They're 44 and nine over the past four seasons, but they got three losses to Bama in there. Like those are three of the nine. How, at what point do we start to take Georgia, not just seriously as a power in the sport, but as a national championship contender? I think that this is the year that they kind of take that step, right? You have high-level quarterback play. JT Daniels has a ton of promise. And I am so interested to see how Clemson tries to game plan him because what, what, whatever they do at Clemson, for all of the fun that I make of Dabo Sweeney, and I do make a lot of fun of him because he seems to be, I just there's something about him that irks me. Uh, so maybe I should be more unbiased in the way that I cover Clemson football. And it's not that I don't enjoy Clemson. It's just Dabo is kind of an oddity to me. But anyway, the way that they retain talent at Clemson and how they'll game plan for JT Daniels defensively, I am so interested to see. And then, of course, Lucas has a bunch of good information for you guys on this Tennessee Bowling Green game. We're going to save that for tomorrow because, of course, the balls play tomorrow right here on 104.5 The Zone, and we will be talking about it nonstop up until kickoff. But coming up next, it's the dumbest thing in sports this week. Now is your time. Six one five seven three seven one oh four five. My God, are there great stories out there for the dumbest thing in sports this week? If you have a nominee, please give us yours and we'll talk about it coming up next. I'm Buck Rising. This is 1045 the zone.